Welcome to Improbable Developments. My name is Kevin Fryer. Each month I will interview scientists, investigators, and patients who are actively working in medical research and development. Our goal is to help patients and those who care about them to get to know the kinds of people working on their behalf. On this month's Improbable Developments, we are talking to one of the most well-known patient leaders in the country. Our goal is to tell the human stories behind medicines. In this case, we're going to get the perspective of a patient who has decided to take an active role in that story. Kyle Bryant was diagnosed with Friedrich's ataxia when he was just 17 years old. He'll tell us about that in a few minutes. Since then, he has accumulated an impressive list of accomplishments. He founded and now leads Ride Ataxia, an event that happens in six cities across America and can even happen virtually now. He hosts the podcast Two Disabled Dudes with his friend Sean Bobstark, who also has FA. He put together a team, including Sean, that cycled across America in just nine days. And just for good measure, they made a movie of that odyssey. The Ataxian is still one of the best documentaries I've ever watched. It's one of my favorites. Most recently, he wrote the book Shifting into High Gear. And oh yeah, he's an Uber driver too. Today, we are going to shine a light on the work Kyle does in his day job as a liaison between FARA, the Friedrich Taxia Research Alliance, and researchers working to come up with an effective treatment for FA. Thank you for being here, Kyle. All right. Thank you for the intro. You know, I, um, a little note about the Uber thing. Um, I've only done four trips, and it was kind of a social experiment. So it was, uh, it was a good one, too. So, yeah. I just want you to know when I come down to Philly for ride a taxi, uh, I'm going to request you as my driver. <laughs> so All right, man. You, you can sit in the traffic in the, on a Schuylkill instead of me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for our listeners who may not know you and may not have listened to your podcast or anything, can you give us a cliff notes of your story? Yeah. Um, so I grew up like all happy kids in Northern California, Sacramento area. And um, when I was about 15 or 16 years old, I was playing baseball. Um, I was always a good baseball player, but um, in baseball, my, my skills started going downhill. And at that age, 15, 16 years old, you should only be improving, right? And so that kind of triggered us starting to look for answers and it took over a year to get a diagnosis even some of the neurologists that we visited and stuff had hadn't even heard of Friedrich's ataxia before um and it took someone who had seen him before and they could just pick it up by watching me walk down the hall um, because, you know, a hallmark of FA and how it usually starts, um, how the symptoms usually present is a lack of balance and coordination. And really what it looks like when you walk is it looks like you had too many beers. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously that wasn't the case. And But anyway, the point is it took someone who had seen F.A. before to recognize, and then I got, I got it confirmed with the blood test. Um, and, you know, what that meant is that 
I had this disease that I'd never heard of before. My family had never heard of. And, um, you know, we looked online and saw things like, you're going to be in a wheelchair soon. And you're going to slowly lose all the ability to take care of yourself. And you will likely die a premature death due to heart disease called the AFA. And that's what I found out. That's what my, my family found out at age 17. And um, that was a really tough blow. And that's, you know, that's kind of how it all started. And um, it took us a good 10 years before we started doing anything about it. Um, and uh, we started, we, I decided I wanted to ride my trike because I saw somebody online that uh, had MS and when he was about to circumnavigate the globe or the country on this trike, I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I can do that too. And um, that was a trigger, and I started riding, and um, my family did a couple of cross-country bike rides together, and we invited people to come with us. Um, we did rides, different bike rides over three years, and we had a bunch of people come with us, and we raised a total of $460,000 in those three years, just as volunteers and uh, we knew we had something but you know what even more importantly i feel like um more important than the dollars was that um especially during the first ride i was writing a blog post about every three days and people from all over the world um you know a lot of people in the fa community but also outside were posting comments or sending me emails about how my actions, how our actions as a family were helping them with the challenges in their lives. And it, it makes me emotional even now just talking about it. But, um, you know, it was, it was really amazing from this po point of, you know, all four of us sitting down at the kitchen table looking at each other going, what the heck are we going to do about this? And then, you know, contrast that with, oh, my gosh, we can make an impact in the world because of this disease. Like, I, it, was, wow. it was an amazing transform transformation that I continue to be really grateful for. Wow. So you just exemplify that my next question which was one of the things a lot of people really admire about you is your attitude and your un unrelenting to drive to just live your life to the fullest what's behind that and can you how do you describe that that drive well i think you know what is behind it is that i think we all have it and i think it can be nurtured and it can be squashed and in my case, it was nurtured. I'm so grateful for my parents, my friends, my, my whole family for encouraging me and um, putting up with my BS sometimes to, you know, to, uh, to reach even further. Um, and so, you know, I think that's where it comes from is that uh, it can be nurtured. Um, the second, remind me what the second part of that question was because... How do you describe that drive? 
Well, I think that it is um, a choice to a great extent because we can choose to focus on all the bad stuff that's happening in our lives, all the all the stuff that gets us down. We can we can choose to focus on that, and I you know anyone can, right? But we can also choose. Everyone's got something good, something good that they can focus on. And I think it takes that focusing on that one good thing and then building from there, you know, and I think it's a choice about what we choose to focus on. Excellent. Excellent. For those of you who like to listen to two disabled dudes, if you listen to the Mother's Day edition of that, um, <laughs> Kyle and Sean talk to their moms and you get a feel for that nurture that's there. Uh, yeah. Now I'm getting emotional. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's a fantastic episode. Good. So I really wanted today to focus on your, your work at Farah and what you're doing there and, and your role in, in the research and the the work that's going on to look for treatments for FA. So can you tell us about what you do at Farah, particularly around the, the stuff related to R&D? Yeah. So um, a lot of my role is, you know, ride a taxi or raising, raising funds so that people that know what they're doing are able to look into the microscope and know what's going on there. Um, but then, you know, another big part of my role is to be the connector between the patient and the scientist and the patient and industry. Um, and that's something that we know is incredibly valuable. Um, you know, some of the most valuable relationships that there has is between patients and industry or patients and scientists. And so, um, you know, we facilitate that as much as possible. Um, for example, we do events where we bring in a panel of three patients and I will mo moderate that panel and, you know, we'll go over things like, um, what was your journey to diagnosis? What did that look like? What, what are the symptoms that, uh, that bother you the most or bo bother is not the strong enough word, I guess, but, um, you know, that cause you the most trouble. And, um, you know, how can we, how could, if, if you had one thing that you could tell a pharma company that is developing a drug for FA, what would it be? You know, and we ask questions like that and we get honest answers in front of a company, you know, and time and time again, we get um, comments back that say, oh my gosh, I am so ready to get back to my desk tomorrow because I know why I'm doing this now, you know. I'm not just shuffling papers or looking at cells in a dish. There are I'm doing this for other people. And I, I mean I think that's why we're here on this earth, right? And so, you know, it's a very fundamental thing that we're doing in ma in making these connections. Yeah, so having spent a lot of my life on the other side in those com in a company mm -hmm. doing R&D. I know that when patients would come in, that, that connection, that actually knowing their name and, yeah. and hearing about their life really did. It, it created a motivation that, that got you working really hard as long as you kept remembering that. If you yeah. had a picture of them or you, I would stick things in my calendar and said, you know, remember, 
I yeah. wasn't working on FA, but you know, remember Kyle, and it would just be enough to to get you going. But I think there's even more value in those discussions. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what you've experienced there when you talk to companies and their reaction to the answers that you're eliciting from from your patient panels or that you're giving. Well, for example, um, I was, you know, I I went to this one company and they were they were trying to figure out how to what size the pills should be for their clinical trial. And, you know, should it be three pills or should it be one really big one or, you know, stuff like that. Stuff that's really objective, right? Like, um, and so, you know, with the FA, there's a sensor issue and that even translates to like sensing pills in the mouth. And so like for me, that that means that for me, I mean, maybe it's different for other people that way, but this is an example. I I would prefer two large pills to six small ones, and that was opposite from what they had thought it would be, and you know, and so it's things like that. I mean, that's just one example, right? But there's a lot of things that that might be totally opposite from what a patient would prefer. Well, and that's a really interesting example because the the decisions that were made based on that input, and I'm talking, you know, from the outside of this, but the decisions made based on that would have been millions of dollars spent in the wrong direction. Yeah, wow, yeah. So. And literally because they would have they would have built you know, machinery and methods and they right. do all this testing and everything. If they did it on pills that were too small, that wouldn't be meeting the patient need, it would have been wasted money. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's a huge little insight that. And that's, I mean, that's the value of, of having the patient involved, right? Like what are we doing this for? Like in the end, it's going to be benefiting a person, right? And so why not ask that person what they would prefer, you know? And so, yeah, I think that example really gets to the heart of the matter. Yeah. And it, you know, having been there, that decision, like what size is the pill going to be, it doesn't happen in a meeting. It happens right months and months and, and a lot of mm. work into you know, what are we, what are we trying to factor here? And it's, you know, from the chemistry side, from the, the engineering mm-hmm. side, from, from all of that. And I think that what's been missing has been that direct patient input. Um, so that's great to hear. Yeah. I want to reflect on your book a little bit and I'm going to go right down to a chapter and it's unfair because I just read it today again. Um, <laughs> But it's chapter seven, and you write about a visit to the Albert B. Elkak Institute of Biosciences and Technology in Houston, Texas. Yeah. This was on your ride from, from I forget where you started. San Diego to Memphis. Yeah, San Diego to Memphis. And you guys took a little side trip, a little excursion, um, mm-hmm. and went and met some scientists. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience there? What was that like? Well, it was it was really amazing because at that time, um, Farah wasn't doing this kind of thing on a regular basis, facilitating uh, 
relationships between patients and scientists. And so, and I knew that, and I really, I felt like a trailblazer and like I was doing important work. And, um, so that, that was a neat feeling to, you know, once again, the contrast of being diagnosed and feeling like, Oh no, like my, all my options and my purpose in life is really going to be limited because of this disease. And then finding out that I can be really useful and feel really powerful if I find my, my role, my niche. Right. So that was one of the the things. The other thing was just, you know, trying to wrap my mind around the whole um, process and um, being a small piece of curing a disease. And what does that mean for me? What does that mean for other people? Um, and, you know, just feeling really small, um, but really powerful at the same time. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was incredible, and it still is. Yeah, well, it's that talking about being a little small piece. There's so many people involved in in finding and then developing right. a drug or trying to develop it, and that's kind of what I took from the, the the book was that you were like I kept meeting these people who were all working on this. Yeah, they, yeah. they hadn't even met an FA patient before, but they were dedicating their lives to it. And your realization there now that while wow, you're, you're playing a little role in there too, you're one of the cogs spinning. And that's what it is when you're on one of these teams, you don't even know everyone who's working on it. Some of them yeah. don't work in the same organization. You're all kind of heading in a direction, you know, scientists at large and, uh, and, but it's everybody's contribution moves it just a little bit closer to the goal. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of the most powerful things I think I, you know, I talk about feeling like a lab rat or whatever and, um, or, or yeah, like a mouse, you know, in the in a cage and, and they're studying me, but however, turning that and being like, you know what, that's my role. I can be one of the most powerful mice that's ever lived, you know, if I take control and contribute to this process in the way I can, I can be an essential ingredient in making this a drug a reality for me and lots of other people. If I just take responsibility and, you know, see that role for what it is. So. Well, and it's obvious that you see the role. You're you're helping in so many ways <laughs> at so many levels. And we could probably do other episodes of this podcast just on all those different things. The first time I met you, you were actually up on stage at, at a conference with Robert Metz from Horizon Therapeutics. Yeah. And you guys were talking about, I think it was their research on interferon gamma. Okay. Um, yeah. And yeah, the patients as partners, yeah. Yep. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what was behind that story and um, and kind of what you learned from what you were doing with Horizon? Because you weren't in the clinical trial, correct? Uh, no, I was not in the clinical trial. It was a trial for kids aged 10 to 25. And so obviously I didn't fit that criteria, but... Um, but, you know, the point of that presentation was that uh, 
in this case, you know, unfortunately, the drug did not meet its endpoint in the phase three. And, uh, and so that program didn't move forward. But Horizon remained um, true and uh, remained alongside the FA community. And they, you know, they still show up to our events and, and, um, and are really good friends um, to the FA community. And so, you know, it was an example of doing the right thing. And, um, you know, when, when Horizon was uh, developing the drug, when we were in the process together, you know, there was all these things like, oh, we're family now and all this stuff. Um, but really, I think it showed through when the, the drug didn't meet its endpoint and they still were there as a friend, as a colleague, uh, you know, to, to keep pushing these things forward. So that was kind of the point is that, you know, we all have a role in the process and, um, you know, it, it, hopefully it's not superficial just because of the drug and, you know, making a few bucks in the end. Um, you know, we're, we're all in this for each other. So, yeah. And it's, I, um, when you get to work with a, a group that's working on that so closely and you see how much people put into it, um, it really isn't the, the people that are doing the research really aren't worried about what's the, what's the business side of this going to be. Right. Right. The problem they're trying to solve is that that person in front of them, the people with in that community, in this case, FA. Um, and you got a glimpse of that. So you were sitting in a front row seat, yeah. kind of watching them work through this process and work through a failure of a product, not a failure yeah. of a trial. And so what was your reaction to that? What was, what were the, the human side, the emotions that, that happened, you know, as results came through and, um, well, my my initial reaction um, was to uh, you know turn the other way and be like, "All right, we tried it. That's it. Let's go." You know, um, and I think that was a little bit of a protectionary sort of reaction um, from me because you know. It was a huge letdown, obviously. We all had a lot going, and we we're all so hopeful. Everyone, you know, and um, so um, maybe my first semi-immature uh, reaction was to, you know, just give up on it. Um, but, you know, I realized through the process that they were still committed to the relationship, even though this drug didn't, didn't meet its end point. So. so you said before your role is making the connections between the patients and these these companies or these groups, the academic groups that are doing the research. What are the biggest challenges to doing that, to creating those relationships, relationships that are as deep as the one you just talked about? Yeah. I think one of the big challenges is just a fear. Um, and fear um you know i i feel like there's a fear of like 
quote, lawsuits. Um, and, and there's so many rules. There are a lot of rules, right? And for good reason about interactions between patients and industry. But I think it's our role as industry and as patients to know the rules really well so that we don't break them. No, I, I, I think it's really bad when people think of all the rules and they go, oh my gosh, we don't want to get a lawsuit, so let's avoid these relationships altogether. That is the worst thing that could happen. That's a huge loss, I think. And so I think knowing the rules inside and out and knowing what's right and being able to approach these things in, in a detailed and sensitive manner um, with which they deserve, you know, I think that's the way to do it. And, you know, these relationships can be incredibly productive and personal if you take the time to do it right. That's really interesting. The the knowing the rules and 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 having to follow those rules at the beginning part of a relationship. Right. Once you, once you do that, at some point, the relationship takes over. Yeah. The, the rules yeah. you're still playing within the boundaries, but right. the relationship takes over, and you can have the more productive conversations. Yeah, and well, and I think that without the objective look at it what do we need to do here to, to make sure we don't do anything wrong without that you can't get to the point where you're talking about where there's a personal connection you know and so uh, it's a balance for sure yeah you're tiptoeing around each other like are, am i allowed to say this and should i yeah. speak up and <laughs> and i actually i had written an article a while ago and it was an experience that I had where we were talking to some patients and basically the rules we were told were don't say anything. Mm, yeah. And I'm telling you the meeting ended in tears on our team's part because we couldn't say anything. Yeah. And, and, and it really, it really shocked our team into to some different actions and saying, we've got to do better at this. Right. And so, you said you're not in you weren't in the clinical trial have you been in any clinical trials i have been in several clinical trials yeah and so when you talk to the folks in fa in you know the people who come to Farah for help they're seeing you as someone credible yeah yeah i think so you know i um the reason I participate in clinical trials is to um, push the science forward and push the process forward. Um, I, I know that it's a science experiment, and I'm not necessarily looking for personal benefit for this drug to, to work on me, um, but I'm more looking to see if the drug even works or not. I'm, I'm really skeptical, especially now that we've had a few failures and we've had, you know, a few things in the community that didn't quite work out. Until we see the data that tells us that it works, I, I, I'm under the belief that it doesn't, I guess. Um, and, you know, I, 
it's a it's a tough thing because it wasn't always that way, right? I mean, we all have such big hopes and for our lives and maybe this drug can be the answer but until that data tells us it's the answer you know it's it's not so and that's a really tough thing too yeah. um as i you know go on a tangent here but that's a tough thing because um there's there's things about fa that are really hard to measure like fatigue how do you measure fatigue and maybe a drug helps they someone feels better they feel less tired but unless you can show that in a number like it doesn't mean much to to the fda to the process so um anyway that was a tangent but no it's a it's it's a tangent but it's a an important point that a lot of what people see patients with fa there's, oh, well, there's these visible things and they, they can put measures in there that may not measure the things you guys are worried about, like fatigue. And, and you're right. How do you measure fatigue? Well, you'd probably do some sort of exercise, mm. uh, but, yeah. but hold it. You just biked across America a few years ago. So yeah. know, uh, how is your fatigue going to measure against even my fatigue or somebody else with FA? Right. Um, you, you're, you're an athlete who has a different fatigue setting, I guess. Um, but you still feel fatigue. It's just, right. it's, it's a different, a different beast. Um, so how do you, you've got such a great outlook there. I mean, when you said that, you know, we've got to see the data. You reminded me of some of my mentors in R and D, you know, nothing matters until you see the data. Um, yeah. And I don't want to hear a story. I, I just show me the data and I'll tell you what I think that means. Yeah. So how do you bring along some of the, the folks that come in that, that are newly diagnosed or new to the, the process of getting involved in clinical trials or, or working their way through their journey with FA? How do you bring them along so that, that they start to think that way as well? How do you teach well, them? I think the entry point is for, for a patient, um, to get involved, I think the entry point is telling their story and realizing how impactful that can be. Um, you know, and, and when someone feels empowered after they tell their story and somebody comes up and goes, oh my gosh, you just changed my whole outlook on my job. On, you know, I, I, I now have purpose in life. Like, I've heard those words from people and how does that not like really motivate you to, to push even further and do, do more in, in that area. Right. So I, you know, I think that's what I encourage people to do is share themselves, um, put their toe in and realize their impact. Um, and you know, the fact that they can be empowered by getting involved in part of the process. Wow. So that's, it's a virtuous cycle you've just talked about there, which is tell your story. You'll get feedback that will get you to say, I need to clean up my story a little. You'll get feedback and you just yeah. keep, you just keep climbing that ladder. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. I think that that's something that, you know, able-bodied folks 
someone who's not dealing with a, a chronic illness or progressive illness may not understand right that that the power of that story and and how it can just drive you along um, and it's just it's a growing experience so we're almost out of time here but if you could leave just one pearl of wisdom or make a request to our listeners what would that be let's see my parting message would be to encourage people to facilitate the interactions between patients and and scientists and industry and i think you know we've talked about the virtues of that and um that you know that's what i love about this podcast what you're doing is that you know you're really going after what what's the point of all this you know what's the point of drug development how do we get there but um you know still keep that purpose intact and um you know so i think i encourage people to continue facilitating those relationships and continue um you know looking at why they're doing things why are we doing all this it's for the patient and um you know that's that's my parting words well, that's fantastic. And now I have a tagline to put on this. So it's a <laughs> perfect finish, Kyle. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for your time. I look forward to seeing you in about a month or so, well, seeing you next week, but then a month or so at uh, Montgomery County Community College for Ride to Taxi of Philly. Um, yeah. Sounds great. I will see you there. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Improbable Developments is brought to you by Salem Oaks Consulting, empowering patients to shape the future of medicine. Special thanks to sound designer Jake Tompkins, who produced this episode. The Improbable Developments podcast is brought to you by Salem Oaks. We are committed to empowering patients, caregivers, and advocates to shape the future of medicine. Have you ever wondered how medicines are discovered and developed? We can help. Check us out at SalemOaks.com 